Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. Today, I'm chatting to Leonard Surajaya. Leonard uses his work to speak profoundly to the challenges of being an outsider and the deep complexity of navigating intersectional identities. He embeds his life experiences into every facet of his work, testing the boundaries of intimacy, community and identity. His subjects, often family, friends and lovers, work in collaboration, creating a kind of absurd theatre within the frame. Viewing Leonard's work is an emotional experience. The photographs are disarming, intense and even overstimulating. The chaos he conjures feels entirely appropriate for our times. As our world continues to be in flux, his images provide a strange comfort. I'm excited to talk to him about resilience, collaboration, and how the act of creating gives him joy and freedom. I watched a talk you did, I think it was in Philadelphia, maybe it was part of the programme around your show. Um, and one thing you really said has like been echoing through my mind since I watched it about a month ago. And you said there are some people in the world who wake up not in fear. Yeah. As a as a queer person, like that resonates for me. But I thought that was just obviously we'll get into it um, in a minute because obviously a lot of your work is this, you know, about the challenges and complexity of like intersectional identities. But I just thought that sentence was so powerful, and and really something that people who don't live that experience can get a sense of what that experience is in just those few words and the privilege yeah. of living an experience where you don't feel like that honestly hearing you say that was kind of whoa because i i didn't expect it to be i mean that that powerful um uh, and just hearing you say that it's, it's pretty humbling. So I don't know. But it feels like that, yeah. in essence, it's kind of like a verbal story related to your work because I feel like mm -hmm. your work has this like highly energized aesthetic. There's a sense of play about it. There's definitely like an, a fun energy around it, but obviously it's working through some pretty intense issues once you get into it at the same time. That almost the power of you saying something which is so maybe in the moment you felt throwaway, but it was so powerful. Feels like that's kind of a good metaphor for your work in some ways. Like I think it can be read, you know, it can be read quickly on this like energetic, like, you know, experimental way. But actually, you know, if you really get into the the meat of the work, it's there's so much going on. Like it's almost it's kind of what I said to you about do, having this conversation. It's there's just so much to get into. We probably won't even cover it in this conversation. 
um, because you, you really have packed the work with so many um, different sort of ideas and processes. That's what makes it so fascinating and so rich. Um, probably a good place for us to start is kind of maybe talking about your kind of origin story, because it feels like how you grew up really informed the work that you're making. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Medan, North Sumatra, Indonesia. Um, I am second generation Chinese Indonesian. Um, so my grandfather moved, I mean, he sailed with his dad when he was nine from China to Indonesia. And at that time, Indonesia was, uh, not independent yet. Um, so, you know, as, uh, as a merchant trying to settle down and figure out what he could do, he found himself, um, uh, working as a farmer and got married and Indonesia became independent. So when Indonesia became independent, it became very confusing as far as what the status of uh, Chinese immigrants in the country. So uh, when I was born in 88, I was born as an Indonesian citizen uh, of an alien descendant. Uh, I, it's, I have that on my birth uh, certificate because it, it was, I mean, it did feel like we were second class citizen because we were not, uh, some privileges were not allowed to us. And it became really confusing as far as if we were allowed to embrace our uh, Chineseness or our own language, because my my parents uh, were born with Chinese names, but the government uh, made them change their name into Indonesian names or Western names. There was a period of time in Indonesia where all of Chinese signifiers cannot be present. And when the persecution happened in 65 towards communism, uh, being Chinese was, was almost like being um, the first identifier of being a communist. Although, if I really think about it, my grandfather ran away from China to flee from communism, but then being targeted because you're Chinese was, was the story that I grew up hearing from my parents. It affects the way that my parents shape their mind surrounding stability and family. So when I was bored, it was just like, I don't know. It felt like my sole purpose in my life was to do really great so I can leave the country and never have to come back. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, that was, that was how I programmed myself. Um, also finding out and discovering my sexuality and being queer in that very confusing setting. I just felt like I was, you know, kind of wrong, kind of, a waste 
um, especially feeling like everybody around me are just different than me and not being able to express those fears or those curiosities um, kind of kind of affect the way that I think of my position in the world. So um, I, I don't know, when I was nine, uh, we had me, my parents had a r- run away from Indonesia for a month because uh, there was a huge economic collapse in the country and um, riots are going going on everywhere and Chinese ethnic group becomes uh, the target again. And as a kid, uh, not knowing what was going on, but very confused because I could feel like we were in danger. I mean, my parents tried their best um, to explain things to me. But what was really kind of confusing to me was to hear my dad told me that I should never, ever trust my nanny. My nanny is a Muslim native Indonesian woman that raised me and had been working with my family before I was born. So I was really close to her and she took care of me. She fed me. She put me to sleep and she raised me but when we ran away at that time my dad told me to not trust her because she's a native indonesian and she's a muslim it would be really easy for her to just turn on us so you know for a nine-year-old i just remembered i was confused because it was it was not like i was close with my father but for him with his authority and conviction he dictated to me that i cannot experience love to a person that i hold very dearly to my heart i mean i think that becomes part of the confusion in the way that i conceive what it means to be available for love and what it means to be offering love to others and it took me moving away from Indonesia after I finished high school to go to college in California to figure out really what all of those confusing experiences uh, were because you know carrying uh, the trauma of my grandparents, uh, learning about the traumas of my parents, and then experiencing traumas of my own, but then trying to normalize it and trying to make sense of it to my best ability while also trying to fulfill my dreams of running away and never have to go back. I think... I find the most perfect medium in art making because I am free to pull from all of those confusing experiences in small doses that I am able to process 
at any given time really allows me to face my fears and to really face my anxieties and ask myself, how could I strive forward to be the best, most optimal self that I could be moving forward? And one way that I am doing that is by addressing all of those confusing things that I try to run away from. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's that's a long-winded <laughs> uh, origin story, I guess. <laughs> but it feels like so much of kind of, I guess, broadly speaking, it feels like so much of your work is about assimilating that trauma that you just spoke about and kind of exploring it and maybe even like releasing it in some ways. Yeah, the thing is, Honestly, uh, this calling it trauma is something new that I picked up in the past couple of years um, after going to therapist and being able to share and being able to hear a different perspective. Because I, I feel like I was conditioned to just... I don't know. It, it gets really confusing, you know, being being an Asian person. Like, it, it's not like we share or we talk a lot at home. But also, my background conditioned me to just be fucking thankful. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes it gets very confusing when I experience hurt or I experience injustice. And I have to get over it by feeling gratitude yeah. I mean, I could do it for for a period of time, but after a while, it just made me very angry. And I think going going through the green card process where I have to basically uh, vouch for my ability, vouch for my values and my worth to stay in this country, it really opened up all of these questions again. And really, really kind of like allow me a path in better figuring out these questions and figuring out uh, the best outlets for me to share it. Speaking about trauma, we, we know what fear is. We know by definition what anxieties are, but the experience of fear and the experience of trauma is always personal. And I don't know, I, I guess that's what I am hoping to also share with my work, being able to be very specific, but also very transcendent and open at, at the same time. What drew you to photography as a medium? So when I was applying to college, uh, in high school in Indonesia, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I know for sure I wanted to go to America. I want I want to be far, uh, and I became really intrigued with movie making. I wanted to make movies. So when I was applying to school. I thought 
theater program is where you learn to make movies because I didn't know I didn't know better at the time. So I applied to go to school uh, for theater in California. And once I got there, it was very overwhelming <laughs> uh, because I realized that I was surrounded by a lot of, you know, 18 year olds who wanted to be famous. <laughs> and I was I was I was so out of place. <laughs> so I, I start I started taking art classes in my third year. And when I when I first took a photography class, it just kind of clicked because, whoa, I can still make movies or I can make pictures, but I didn't have to rely on a crew of people. I didn't have to rely on talents. I didn't really I didn't have to rely on anyone. I could just go out with my camera and make the pictures that I want to I want to make and share the stories that I want to share. And that felt really liberating. I find it quite interesting that you studied theatre because your images are so alive and there's definitely like a performative and your film obviously as well, that there's a performative mm -hmm. angle to that. So I was wondering if you felt like studying theatre did inform your work in any way. I think it definitely did. It gave me a really great uh, vocabulary or it really gave me a great insight in the way that I uh, work with my subjects um, with uh, movements and gestures but also thinking in terms of what makes a story complete and I don't know I'm also very perfectionist <laughs> so I I want to be able to control every part of the frame. And that feeling of power is just so satisfying that it was just like a high. Like, I don't know. This is like the experience of making work for me there is just this unspoken sense of joy there's like a spark it feels like yes i this is all within me and this is all within my power and ability and i get to do this with the people that are directly around me and we get to do this together to achieve something and that feeling is just so magical because for once I don't feel afraid. For once I feel like I get a sense of uh, being a part of something. It, it, it's like we, me and my subjects feel like we are a united front in achieving this effort in making a great photo. And that feeling is just so precious to me. Also, sometimes I realize photography is so limited. I cannot express more than what the medium can. So that's that's when uh, I guess my work pushes me to expand to video, uh, performance, and installation. It feels like collaboration is such an important part of your work and, and many of your subjects are 
your family, your friends, your partner? How is that as an experience in terms of kind of making work? Because I imagine that must be kind of quite emotionally charged at times, both in positive and negative ways. Yeah. When I first started working with my family, I, you know, I was a student. I only have the winter break uh, to go back to Indonesia to see them. And that's the only time that I could get a good start on my art projects. So I told them, hey, I'm here for a month, but I really need to exercise and get better at taking photos. So would you please help me out? Because if you help me out, you will help me get a good grade in my class. <laughs> so, so in the beginning, you know, that's how we started. Uh, I didn't even think a lot about what it meant to photograph them and have them be the persistent subjects in my work because in the beginning it was really a matter of uh practicality like i i really need to try out all of these different lights i want to try out all of these different composition would you help me and that really helped me develop my skills like my visual language how i would like my work to look what kind of elements are important in my work what kind of color what kind of patterns so working with my family really allowed me to just develop the language that i wanted to develop in my work and with that i started to ask myself okay now that i've developed this language what do i want to do with this language what stories do I want to share with the language and you know actively trying to figure out my own position in the world um, being in America but also being a queer person I think naturally I gravitate towards wanting to be closer to my family because I felt like I had to conceal a secret that I um, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't come out, I didn't come out to my mom until I was in grad school. So in the beginning, a lot of my effort in making photos with them was to spend time with them as much as I could when I visited, when I visited Indonesia for a short period of time, I wanted to be able to make peace with not being able to tell them that I was queer. And that was, that was my early work, really. And when I got to grad school, I realized that shit, if I kept making this kind of work, it's only a matter of time that my parents would find out that I'm gay from some other outlets. Or if somebody wants to rat me out. <laughs> so that... <laughs> So I came out to my mom uh, that winter break from first semester of grad school. And, you know, at that time after I came out, I also feel I also felt the same way I'm feeling right now, where I felt like, shit, so much of how I did things 
uh, have been updated. And now I don't know how it would translate in me making work, but I knew it was for the better. I knew after coming out to my mom that that was, you know, the support I needed to give myself because it, it got very stressful because I didn't want to disappoint my parents, but I also didn't want to limit my curiosity and my ability in being able to express to the world through my art making that I'm queer. Coming out was a great experience in that it eased the way that I speak about running away from the country when we were little. It eased the way that I asked my parents about how they felt when they when they had to suddenly leave everything, pick up their two kids and go away for a month. I don't know. I think it really gave my, me and my family a gift from doing this together because it allows us to, to face our fears and it allows this fun, um, kind of silly, but very serious uh, activity where we where we learn more about ourselves and the world that we're in. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. You spoke on that great panel, actually, about um, questioning if we still need the labels like queer art and queer artists, and, and is that important? And I'm curious what your take on that is, because your queerness is such a big part of your your practice. Yeah. I, I remember on that panel I say I am very queer in my work <laughs> because, you know, because, like, I don't know what it is. It, it's like the experience of being a queer person and seeing another queer person, but not being able to say to each other, hey, I see you, you're queer, I'm queer too. Uh, you know, like growing up in Indonesia or when I was in, in the closet and not being able to share that experience was really very limiting. And I don't want to limit myself. So in my work, I don't I don't try to hide that I'm queer visually because in the beginning, that was my way of communicating that. But now that I've I came out to my family and I also recently had an extended conversation with my mom when. She was visiting last month about the consequences, I guess, of my career. I, I still carry the fear of being successful because being successful means that there would be more exposure towards me and my family and where I come from. And I fear being successful. <laughs> Because I don't want to put my family in danger uh, because while I can experience all of this freedom and privilege and being a homosexual freely in America, my family is still in Indonesia 
And with the anti-pornography law that is used to target queer people in Indonesia and limit how people express themselves, I, I am very fearful of how people would uh, react to my family if I were successful. I asked my mom about it. I talked to her about it. I told her that I... It is very funny to me that I have this contradiction in my life. I told her so much of my work is me wanting to be seen, but yet I am so afraid that I would be exposed, that I would be seen. And I, and I think just being able to share that with my mom was was such a breakthrough. I think at this point, my work is my family and my community and the people that are around me, the people that I share my existence with. Yeah, it's so much of how I experience the world is through making work because it allows me the excuse to slow down and not be overwhelmed with my lack of knowledge or my hesitance. So make, making a photograph, making an installation, being able to dream and plan and put an effort in making physical something that I have been thinking or have been asking is the way that I process my experience in the world. Kind of building on that, one of the things that I find really fascinating about your process is that you you talk a lot about your work being a stage for kind of genuine expression and, and that you give autonomy to your subjects. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I plan the whole photographs uh, based on my exchange with my subjects uh, because... It's not like I have a set in my studio and then I go out to the world to find somebody to sit in my set. Uh, The way that I make work, usually I I get inspired by, by the people that I'm spending time with. And then that inspiration becomes a curiosity, but also it becomes this energy of wanting to get to know them better. Because, hey, if if we're going to work together, if we're going to spend time making photos, let's make sure it's something that is pretty awesome and and makes sense for you and makes sense for me. So uh, when I set up the photographs, it could either be at their place using items that are in their home or it could be in my studio inspired from conversations that we have or Sometimes the silliest exchange becomes the greatest inspiration in my photograph. As I'm saying it, it becomes very clear that I was just like a very awkward kid that doesn't know how to like ask someone to play with me until like I'm in charge. (laughs) So, So basically my photography is my way of playing and getting to know other people while making sure that I feel safe. 
<laughs> and that I have the power. Let's talk oh. about a couple of specific projects. I'd love to hear about um, the uh, genesis of False Idol. Through my experience of immigrating to America, specifically as a queer person of color from Indonesia, who is also a persecuted minority, I think that perspective is is very precious and very valuable. And that's what I want to share with the world. And I think that's that's how False Idol uh, got it. Was born. Yeah. I, I am currently in the process of concluding it. I know there are about two, three more photos that I want to make so that I can see if I would want it in False Idol or not. But but I also have some uh, videos um, to edit to conclude this whole project. So, yeah, I'm, I'm also very happy that I can finally conclude it. It's been four years. Of- I was say, do you but do you do most of your projects run quite long term, like over many years? Um, no, not really. Honestly, False Idol is the first time that I tell myself that no matter what, I cannot conclude this project until I get my green card. Because the start of it was really around the time that I got married to Peter, which is also to me, a very monumental time in history that I want to remember. And honestly, the experience of going through marriage and green card allow me this medium, this filter um, to look at my experiences or my fears that I didn't address in the past and false idol just beca- just becomes this pot <laughs> that deals with those personal questions but it's also addressing uh the anxiety of our time right now um specifically the trump administration so it, it really becomes this absurd theater i guess but also very serious and hopeful and humorous, but it doesn't shy away from the pain and the hurt. I wanted to ask you about the humor, actually, because a lot of your work is kind of laced with humor or this kind of sense of the absurd, but obviously you're talking about quite serious issues and there's a real vulnerability to your process. And so I wondered why that dynamic is so effective for you, like using humor as a gateway for your viewer. I strive to be happy. Like, really, if I really think about it, what I want to be in this life is to be happy. And laughter is one way that I could use to feel better about any given situation. And... I think as a personality, uh, that's how I see the world. You know, life is very hard. Life is very shitty. I don't have all of the power in the world. <laughs> what can I do about it? I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try to laugh at it. You know, as a way 
to acknowledge my position, but also give myself a sense of power. Oftentimes, I find more similarities with my subjects through the pain and the humor that we share with one another than in feeling small. Because, I don't know, feeling angry, feeling small and feeling fearful is very consuming. What's great about my process is I sometimes spend months or weeks to really think about how I could visually translate the things that I can't say. A lot of the times using humor and using different ways uh, to be able to communicate the same point becomes my weapon of choice. <laughs> Actually speaking about myself is more effective in getting my vision and in getting my message across than trying to shy away from it. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And I think in some ways that's like the perfect place to end. Thank you so much for um, being on the podcast and for sharing so personally about your work and your practice and, and how you navigate the world. I mean, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.